Well, um, I remember the first Swahili phrase I learned, and that was uh, 2020 coming into 2021. Uh, it was Hongera sana, mwagufiga mwaka wa 2021. Now, mwaka wa 2023. So, congratulations, you made it. Um, Bruno taught me that phrase that I can only use once a year, but thanks, <laughs> Bruno. And you might be thinking, yeah, 2022, 2023 is just a change of dates. Uh, but uh, you know, we know there are many who haven't made it into this new year, so we're really grateful for what God has done. Now, I'm not going to do that cringe-worthy thing and uh, kind of ask you to share your resolutions uh, for the year. I can see some husbands and wives sitting together. There might be some acrimony if uh, you decided to discuss that. Uh, but I thought it would be fun just to look at what are the top resolutions for 2023 just went up on the internet. And the first one was to exercise more. The second one was to eat healthier. The third, to lose weight. And I kind of thought that those three sound like one resolution <laughs> rolled into one. And then you've got the fourth one was to save more money. But when I went and looked uh, for Kenyan resolutions, there were five all about money. And then the fifth one is to spend more time with family, friends. The sixth one, to spend less time on social media. Now again, five and six sound like one that's rolled together. If that's one of yours, I'm just giving you some friendly advice. And then the seventh was to reduce stress on the job. And the eighth, to reduce living expenses. And I just want to say all the resolutions are linked to reducing stress, okay? And then I just looked at some of the memes about resolutions. And there was one, if you remember Pinocchio. And he says, what I see when someone says that they're sticking to their New Year resolutions for real this time. <laughs> and you kind of look at those resolutions and they, they sound like resolutions for 2021, 2020. It's like somebody just copy and pasted. And then the one that I love the most, my New Year's resolution is to stop procrastinating. I'm not going to start it until next week, though. <laughs> now, if you have your Bible, please would you turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. And one of the things they tell you, or one of the things that I was told when I was being trained uh, to preach is, never tell people that you're nervous before your sermon. And uh, I have to say, a New Year's message is one of those that can make the preacher nervous. It's like, man... What do I say, right? What's, what's the word of the Lord for the year? How, how can people be set up for success for the rest of the year? And since I knew my, I had picked the short straw and was the one preaching, I've, I've been thinking about it over the last weeks, if not kind of month or two of the year. And I thought I'd bring this word on, on, on faith, and seeing God doing miracles from Matthew 11, how Jesus, when the people came and, and, and said, hey, John is asking, are you the one where to expect or is there another coming? And he said, go and tell him what you see. The blind have their eyes opened. The lame are walking. I thought that sounds like a, a great word to start the year. But I felt this word just on my heart from Second Peter. And uh, I've titled the message, God's P Provision and Plan for You. 
in 2023. And if you want to kind of visualize what this is, as I was looking at the commentaries, there's one West African proverb that says, a bird cannot fly with one wing. And I want you to imagine the two aspects of this message, his provision for you and his plan for you as the two wings that will help you to soar as we come into the year. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great truth that we sang this morning, that you are our shepherd. What an incredible declaration to make, that you are the one who picks up the lambs. You're the one who calls us by name. We're not here by chance or by accident, but you have called us from wherever you are. You're the one who looks for the lost. When we think we are too far gone, that we have messed up our lives, that we have blown it, we've thrown it away, you say, no, no, I, I look for the lost. You're the one who binds up the broken. You don't say, kind of, get it, act together, get it together, fix yourself, come to me when you've cleaned the mess. But you say, I will pick you up. I will bind you. I will give you what you need to be healed. You're the one who leads us to green pastures when, Lord, we, we really don't have a clue how our lives should go, how we can find provision for ourselves. You lead us to green pastures. You're the one who leads us to the still waters when we are restless, when we've been buffeted from every side. You're the one who brings us that peace and that calm. You're the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And you're the one who prepares the table before us. What an incredible picture. Thank you for being our shepherd. And so, Lord, as we go into your word, we pray that you'll be the one who speaks to us. You'd be the one who rescues us. You'd be the one who strengthens us. You'd be the one who commissions us into the year. We love you. We love your presence and we invite Holy Spirit that you do a profound work in each and every person that is here. Amen. Great. So we're going to work through the first 11 verses and I'll just read and we'll bring out what we can see of God's provision and what we can see of God's plan for us. And so if you're with me in Second Peter, we'll read from verse 1. And it says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is uh, Simon Peter, one of the first disciples to be called by Jesus. He said, follow me. He was a fisherman and he saw all these wonderful miracles of Jesus. He also made many mistakes. And he denied Jesus before he died, but Jesus restored him three times, asking him, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. And then he said, feed my sheep. And so it's really profound that Peter, we've got this letter that is writing. A little bit later in the verses, he'll say he's aware that he's going to die. And so what is written, he wants to be kept for posterity. 
because he feels that it's really, really important as the one who Jesus commissioned and said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And Peter, knowing that he's soon to leave this earth, says, these, these are the words I want you to remain with. And so as we listen, I want, I want it to have this gravity, this weight of who Peter is and the time in his life that he's writing. And then he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. And in some translation says, a like precious faith. And this means that it gives us the same privileges that Peter had. The, the same privileges of, of knowing Jesus, experiencing the work of Jesus in his life. He says, hey, if you too have trusted in Jesus, you have equal standing. That faith is as precious. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter calls Jesus both God and Savior. This is not an invention as the Da Vinci Code would tell you that it was, it was something that was decided by a council some 300 or 400 years later. No, no, no. Those who walked with Jesus, those who saw him calming the storm, those who saw him uh, uh, casting out legions of demons, those who saw him raised from the dead said, this is our Lord and our God. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This was a common greeting, bringing together kind of Greek greeting of, of grace and this Hebrew greeting of shalom. But when, it, when it's brought to us, it's not simply just a way of saying hi, have a great day, because it's being multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is what God wishes for us. Grace, enablement, favor, and peace, wholeness, calmness, rest. And he gets into the subject of what he's talking about. He says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And from this text, I want to draw out God's provision for us, the, the one wing that we have. And in it, we'll see that God has provided for us divine power. God has provided for us divine power in a divine person who gives us divine promises that we might have divine participation. I know it's quite dense and we'll just break it down, but when Peter says his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he's saying he's given us everything that we need for life and to be godly, to be able to follow his purposes and his plans for us. And I wonder what you think when you hear the word divine power. But from Peter's Jewish mind, you might go back to the story of creation. Where God created everything from nothing. A feat that has never been repeated in history. As people, we, we can make something out of other things. 
We, we, we had the law of thermodynamics that says, you know, energy can uh, not be created. It can only be transformed from one form to another. And then Einstein said, no, you can have the theory of relativity. You can have it from matter, but not from nothing. In all humanity's endeavors, in all our scientific pursuits, all our accumulated knowledge for thousands of years, we've never been able to make something out of nothing. And yet in the story of creation, we see God through the power of his word, his divine power, calling everything into existence from nothing. And you think, no, no, I thought we, we've proven that it, it, it was chance. No. Chance cannot work with nothing. What's the probability of zero? Zero. You, you can't work with nothing. It would take a higher power, something that is uncreated, someone who is beyond creation to make everything out of nothing. And that is God's divine power. Not only do we think of creation, we think of the exodus. When God says that he came and he, he rescued his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. When he brought the, the ten plagues on Egypt. When he came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And they crossed through the Red Sea as on dry land. And when the Egyptians were pursuing them, the waters came down and consumed them. And how God provided for millions of people going through uh, this barren desert with food that came from heaven. Manna, what is it? And water from the rock. This is his divine power. And maybe for Peter, he then begins to think and remember what Jesus did, what he saw with his own eyes, starting with that miraculous catch of fish when he said, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. And Jesus said, no, cast your nets one more time. And he, he saw him calming the storm. He saw him walking on the water, healing the sick, raising up the paralytics. And finally, ultimately, he saw Jesus dead and buried. You know, we were watching the World Cup final and it was 78 minutes, Argentina 2, France nil, And we all thought France are dead and buried. Finished. And then in two minutes, in two minutes, that almost caused heart attacks to Mercy supporters all over the world. France had equalized. But we know the end of the story. I can see somebody with their head, hands on the head. Maybe you're supporting France. You know that they lost finally. But it was not the same with Jesus. Jesus was literally dead and buried. They put the stone on the tomb. They sealed it. They put the guards. And then when the ladies came to look for him, said that they found a young man sitting on top of the stone and asked, 
Why do you look for the living among the dead? That is the resurrection power. That is divine power. And this is what Peter says, that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I I don't know what you are facing as you come into 2023. Do do you have that, that chronic disease, January disease? Where it's like, we finished all the money at Christmas, now the kids need to go back to school. What's going to happen? I don't know how we're going to finish the month. I don't know how the cash flow is going to balance. I don't know what mountains you have in front of you. But Peter says, God has provided you with his divine power. That power of creation, that power of the exodus, that power of Jesus' miracles, that power that raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand, far above any name that can be named in this age and the one to come, that God has granted you that power so that it works for your life and that you may do all that God calls you to do. And when he talks about life, the different Greek words that he could use, he could have used the word bios, from which we then get biology, but he used the word zoe. And this is not just about your physical life. You think, okay, if God has his power, Lord, now, M-Pesa, now. Can, you know, I need 5,000 in my M-Pesa now, not in my bank account because the government is then going to take some fraction of it. You think, healing, now. That's what I need. Restoration, Now. But Peter is saying, no, no, it's much bigger than bios. It's, it's much bigger than your physical life. He's, he's provided for what you need for eternal life. He's provided for what you need to overcome the bondage of sin. He's provided for what you need to uh, come out from the bondage of the devil, to come out from the fear of death. He's provided for what you need to be made alive on the inside, to be truly alive. And he says this this power is not something that you kind of just get zapped with. It's not something that you're connected maybe through electricity that you need to go and find in this church or in that church. Maybe go through this routine this year. I really want to focus on my relationship with God. I'm going to be doing this sets of prayers. I'm going to be doing these sets of readings. I'm going to be doing these sets of fastings. Peter says this power comes through a person. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He says, it comes through knowing Jesus. Jesus, the one who called us. Our great shepherd who who went to look for us in the wilderness. And he found us. And he overcame us with his love. Christianity is is not about getting related to a set of uh, doctrines or dogmas or disciplines. Primarily, It's about being connected to a person. And this is where the power is. And then he says, 
Not only do we have power in a person, but it's granted to us through his precious and great promises. You might think, hey, I don't, I don't even know my family. I don't know my parents. I, I've got no inheritance. Where's my life headed? I've, I'm not even in a relationship. My marriage is on the rocks. My health is going downhill. My prospects, they all look so dim. But Peter says, you've got promises in Christ. And I think, hey, what, what promises are those? I mean, Scripture is filled with promises. And Christ himself came announcing great promises. You might remember the Beatitudes, where he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are promised possession of God's kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Are you mourning? Have, have, you, have you experienced grief? Do you look at the world around you and, and mourn at its brokenness? Are you mourning at what you feel are unanswered prayers? Well, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you feel you, you, you have nothing? You've been disinherited by the world, by the political systems? That all your hard work has come to naught? Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And you might think, okay, those sound nice. But Jesus would say things like, I am the light of the world. Do you feel like you don't have direction? Do you feel like you can't see where your life is heading? Jesus said, he who trusts in me shall walk in the light. He says, I am the bread that came from heaven. If you eat of me, you will be filled and satisfied. He is the gift of God. He says, if you drink the water that he gives you, you will never thirst again. In fact, he says that if you drink from what he gives, you'll have rivers of living water coming from your being. And it's in knowing Jesus and putting your trust in him that you get these great and precious promises. What do you have from God in 2023? His power in His person through His promises. And the ultimate reality, the, the direction that Peter is taking this is that through knowing this person, through His power, through His promises, we participate, we take part in the divine nature. We become children of God. John also said, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called sons of God. And he says, what we are has not yet appeared, but when we see Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And when Peter talks about 
participating in the divine nature. This is not kind of an, an Eastern religion of saying, I'm going up a ladder and I'm graduating through meditation and through uh, whatever else until I become divinized, I become a deity myself. No, he's saying, this is what God does for you and in you when you receive his son, that if we had something that could look at your inner man, that the DNA of your inner man would see God's imprint and stamp saying, you belong to me, you're one of mine, I've set you free from everything that held you back, I have given you new life, you can go and flourish and be fruitful in what I created you for. This is taking part in the divine nature. It's overcoming who is he that overcomes the world except he that believes that Jesus is the Christ? Say, no, no, you know, I've, I've had this addiction for years, this, this thing, I, I, I can't let go of it. I got saved when I was 19. And from about the age of 10, I was addicted to porn. And I never thought I could be a Christian. I never thought I could live up to the things of Christianity. And then I, I went for this meeting and I responded to the gospel. And from that moment, God had set me free. Something that I, I couldn't set myself free from with, with self-control, with my own discipline, with my own New Year's resolution. God did in me. Why? Because of the divine power in this person. And, and being part of the divine nature. I was born again. And there is nothing that God cannot deliver you from, cannot set you free from. Is it anxiety? Is it depression? What is it? God makes available to you this morning His divine power that you might take part in the divine nature. And you might be wondering, well, okay, what does, what does this mean for me? What should I do? The first thing is you need to cherish and nurture your faith. We live in a world that's pulling down our faith, a world that, that says this is useless, a, a, a world that decries and, and tries to pull down Scripture and says this is not real, your, your faith is not real. But Peter opens up by saying you have obtained a faith that is precious because it gives you equal standing with God. You need to cherish and nurture your faith. And I know we, we face discouragements and, and disappointments. We've got things where we think God hasn't answered our prayers as we thought he should. We've got situations where we feel God hasn't acted as we thought he should. But we must guard, nurture, and cherish our faith. You must remind yourself what God has provided for you. I'm, I'm one of those people who is more tempted to look at the glasses being half empty than half full. I'm one of those who wakes up in the morning and is more engrossed, more taken up by what I don't have 
than what I do have. And you see, when we're taken up with what we don't have, what we're missing, we miss out on what we already have, what God has provided for us. And so you, you might feel that your work is, is piled up to here or your debts are, are piled up to here or your bills are piled out to, up to here or your disappointments are up to here. But you, you need to come back again to what God has provided for you and remind yourself that this is the God of creation, the God of the Exodus, the God of the miracles, the God of the resurrection who gives us His divine power. That he just hasn't given you a set of doctrines, a book, and said, hey, go and do the best that you can with this book. No, he gave you his son, his one and only beloved son to hang naked for you on the cross. He's given you this divine person. Not only that, he's, he's given you divine promises. Remember that sermon of Jonathan Edwards where he says, your bad things are working for good. Your good things cannot be taken away from you. And the best things are yet to come. He's given you divine promises. And finally, it enables you to take part in who God is through Jesus. So this is God's provision for you. As you look ahead into the year. Do you feel that's, that's enough? Do you think you can kind of just cut it in 2023? Can you make it? Okay, I've got a few who feel they do. And this brings us to God's plan for you. Now, in what Peter is saying, he's, he's set us up for what he's going to ask us to do, what he wants us to do with the information that he's given us. And this is God's plan for us or God's call to us because not only are we participating in the divine nature, God actually wants us to participate in living out and working out what these great promises mean for us in everyday life. You will often hear from the front and from my lips, we will say the gospel Say is spelled D-O-N-E, done. That is what the gospel, that God has done everything that was necessary for us to be in relationship with him, to be saved. That we are saved by doing nothing but believing this message about Jesus. And this is what the Bible teaches us. But we are not saved to continue to do nothing. We are saved by grace. That's what Paul says, that we're saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then he says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared for us in advance. And Luther says, hey, when he was writing the commentary to the Galatians, he's saying, we're taking flack because we, we talk about grace. And we say it's not of works. And yes, we, we don't want that. Anyone to be in any doubt about what our message is. It is through grace and faith, that article, justification, 
by faith. But he says that we, we then don't leave works. We need them in their proper order. Grace. Then works follow. You see, we are saved by faith alone. But not by faith which remains alone. And this is what, what Paul or what Peter is talking about. Scholars and theologians, when they talk about it, they, they talk about the indicative truths. These are what God has done for us. And we respond to it by faith. We believe, we appropriate them by faith. If you're here this morning and you're wondering how, how, how can I know God? How can I be connected with Him? Do I need to clean up my life? Do I need to clean up my mess? The answer is no. You need to receive God's provision for you. You need to receive His divine power through this person, Jesus, who says, believe that I have done everything that was necessary for you to become a child of God. But then, works will follow. Effort was follow. And so God's plan for you is to put effort to your faith. This is what one commentator says on these verses. For this very reason, so when we come into verse 5, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And this is what the commentator says. When Peter says, for this very reason, he's talking about our new birth and the precious promises and the divine power offered to us in Christ. We cannot sit back and rest content with faith. The grace of God demands as it enables efforts in man. The grace of God demands as it enables effort in man. Elsewhere, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's saying, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I've got nothing to prove to anyone. Yes, I used to be a persecutor and a blasphemer. Yes, I used to fight the church. But the grace of God, I am what I am. Christ chose me to become an apostle. It's not something that I earned. It's not something that I worked to. It was the grace of God. And then he goes on to say, but the grace was not ineffective in me. In fact, I worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God. And so we, we see this dynamic that the grace of God demands and enables efforts in man. And I wonder, as, as you're starting the year, we, we all have either really, what can I say, um, obvious resolutions, overt, I mean, is it overt when they're mentioned explicit or implicit resolutions, right? There's some who say, oh, no, 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 I don't have resolutions. But inside, they know they've got some things they want to work on in 2023. And I don't know what you want to put effort in, some are saying, I, I want to put effort in going to the gym. I, 
I want to feel healthy, to be well. I want to look like Simba. Or you're saying, hey, I, I want to put effort into my business. I and 99% of other Kenyans, I, I want to make my business grow. Or you're saying, I, I, I want to put effort in my schoolwork. I want to get my grades up. But the question is, do you have a plan to put effort in your faith? And the words that, that Peter uses, he, he says, make every effort. When we think about our faith and we think about the message of grace, I wanted to put up a picture of someone walking in the park. We think of a nice walk in the park. This is the message of grace. God has done everything for me. I don't have to do anything. Wow, it's just wonderful. But Spurgeon, in one of his illustrations, gives this example of somebody going up an icy mountain in the blizzard. I don't know if you remember the scene from The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, if you watched it, when they were going up this mountain. I think it's called Caradras. I looked it up yesterday, don't worry. And there's a blizzard, there's a snowstorm, and Saruman, you can hear him in the distance trying to curse them, and rocks are falling down, and snow is falling down. And it's like, man, this is chaos. And they think, hey, do we go up the mountain, or do we go through the mines of Moria? And it's like, they've awakened an evil in the mines of Moria. You don't want to go there. Or, or do we try and go through the pass of Rohan? It's like, no, no, it's too close to Saruman. It's like, man, it feels like my life is constrained on, on this path and, and it's hard, it's difficult. And scripture says we, 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 we've got a, a fight with the inner man, calls it the sinful nature. And he says we, we must put to death what is earthly in us. It doesn't say tame it, doesn't say cage it, but it says put to death. We are in mortal combat with ourselves. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and come after me. Not only do we have this mortal fight within ourselves, we, we are at war with the world. There's a world system that is set up against God, that comes against faith, that comes against godliness, that comes against righteousness, against morality. That, that, that system that says, hey, you want to get anything done? Kitukidogo. Right? This is the way things work in this town. You, you want to get married? Well, we have to test things out first. Um, how, how do you buy goods without testing? How do you, you need a test drive. Let's, let's, let's test these things. Not only are we at war within ourselves and, and arrayed with forces against us, we, we've got the invisible hand. Peter spoke about it in his first letter. He says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so friends, this calls for every effort, all the determination you can muster. What we, what we want is to say, hey, I'm putting effort 
in my business, in my finances. I'm, I'm putting major effort in that. I'm putting major effort in how I look, you know, my health, my well-being. And then I'll put a little bit of effort in my faith, right? Because that's kind of the icing. God has done everything. Anyway, there's grace, isn't there? And Peter's saying, no, no, no. You've got it upside down. Let everything else flow from what God has done for you. And so Peter, he does what they did in ancient times. There are these lists of kind of like virtues. He, he starts with faith. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you've got nothing. Faith is the foundation. Faith is, is, is that seed and the sprouting. But he says, hey, let's add to it. Let's add virtue, excellence, goodness. This word is kind of, we don't know exactly how to use it. But, but what he's saying is all that's excellence, grow in excellence. And when he's talking about excellence, he's not talking necessarily about doing things well, getting a star in school or getting promoted at work. He, he's talking about becoming like Christ because Christ was the most excellent man who ever lived. The one who showed truly what God had made us for. We're not just accidents of chance, but God has made us for a purpose. And then he says, add to that goodness, knowledge. And what he's saying is, later on he'll talk about false teachers and false prophets, that there are a lot of doctrines, there are a lot of philosophies that are there in the world. And sometimes I look on Twitter or whatever it is, and you've got this one-liner. It's say, hey, this is how life works. This is how to have a good life. And I think, oh man, you've got no idea how life works. I remember this one guy, I think his name is Yusuf Harari, who wrote a book about something about the origin of man or whatever. And people are eating this up. It's like, man, this guy has got no idea about life. You've got Dan Brown. You've got all sorts of philosophies. But it's not just outside of the church, even within the church, the very... Scholars and leading teachers, they, they've got no idea. Is, is, should this be in the Bible? Is this true? Do we actually believe that? And you can easily fall prey to that. And not only do we have the scholars and the academics there, you've got the, the prophets, right? Saying, hey, if you want a successful life, come, I'll, I'll break the curse upon you. Give me this and then God will do that for you. I am God's chosen one. And people flock and gather to him. And Peter is saying, no, I don't want you to be tossed by every wind and wave. I want you to grow in knowledge, to know what you believe, why you believe it, to know God, who he is, his character, his nature, how he works. That you would be steady in your faith. That you'd be unmoved. Then he says, you grow in self-control. Grow in perseverance. And these are kind of Greek ideas. And Aristotle says, self-control is about how we handle our pleasures. Perseverance is about how we handle our pressures. How we handle adversity. 
and suffering. And these are things that the Spirit works in us, but we also must apply and give ourselves to it. God is not going to take over your life, take over your character, say, well, if God didn't, if God wanted me to exercise, you know, He's going to make me. I'm going to get an anointing for going to the gym this year. I'm, I'm just going to start feeling like in the morning, you know, I, oh, it's working. You know, I'm, guys, I prayed about it in 2022. Now, 2023, um, I've got the anointing for discipline. Peter says, no, you, you need to put effort. Say, oh, man, it feels so right. No, no, no. You can't just do it because it feels right. What, what does Scripture say? It, we couldn't help ourselves. You remember when Aaron made the golden calf? He says, we threw in the gold and out came this calf. It's like, man, it's, it's just being human. This is how, you know, I've got these hormones. We've got chemistry. It feels all right. But Peter says, grow in self-control. Then grow in perseverance. Courage under fire. Being able to go in adversity, to keep going. Not only are we growing in perseverance, he says grow in godliness. And what this means is giving to God what is due to him. In your relationship, growing in the things that pertain to God. Piety. This word has, has come out of use. We, we don't talk about godliness and piety. It's living under covenantal obligations. What it means to be in relationship with God. Integrity, transparency. Having God's character showing more and more in our lives. Then finally, he says, we, we grow in brotherly affection and love. And this brotherly affection is having a heart that's open to our brothers and sisters in the faith. Growing more in, in generosity, growing more in openness, hospitality. And it's not just those of our culture, class, academic background, neighborhood, persuasion. But it's with all those who genuinely call on Jesus as their savior. And love is growing. You know, this, this word love, it's agape. It was a word that seemed to have been coined by the Christians because it described something that didn't exist before. This self-giving, self-sacrificing love of God that now he calls us to do not in our own strength, but as partakers of the divine nature. Because His DNA is in us. Because we've got divine power. We've got, we are connected to the divine person. And we see the promises that lie ahead. And so we can begin to live out a life that is godly. And finally, as I close, you might ask, okay, so 
What is in it for me? Why, why does any of this matter to me at the beginning of the year? I wish you had been telling me money-making schemes. How I can turn a thousand bob into a million bob. And I saw the story of this young university guy who was betting on football games and then he won 200 million bob. And I was like, God, are you talking to me? Should I, <laughs> should I start betting? Surely you want that for me. So we come to verse 8. He says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why this is important, why you need to take both wings, why you need to lean on God's provision and pursue God's plan for you is that your faith would produce fruit. Peter approaches it from the negative. He says, it stops you from being ineffective which can be translated idle or useless. This kind of thinking of land where you've prepared it and you plant, but nothing comes out of it. And he, he's saying that God called us to fruitfulness. And this is the story of Scripture and many things that Jesus said. The parable of the soils, the parable of the vineyard landholder, it was all about bearing fruit. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. It is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And so Peter wants us to produce fruit. And he's, he talks of it in the negative because it's much more easier to be ineffective and unproductive. We need to put effort to become effective and productive. The second thing that Peter wants for us, verse 9, is for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter wants us to grow in victory over sin. He wants, he, he wants you know, when the Bible talks about going from strength to strength, glory to glory, it's having God's character shining in your life more and more. Finally, listen to what he says in verse 10 and 11. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter wants us to have fruit from our faith. He wants us to grow in victory over sin. And finally, he wants your faith to endure and grow stronger. He says, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. He's not saying that this is how you become saved. This is how you get called by God. No, he's saying, this is the fruit that gives assurance. You grow more confident in your faith. You, you get to step out more and more in, in faith, in what God has for you. You do not live in doubts of, will, will I endure to the end? No, no. You get assurance that God is truly working in your life. You see, the more 
you're putting effort, the more you discover that you can't do it on your own. And that it's actually God working in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And when he talks about having this rich entrance provided in his eternal kingdom, there are two ways you could look at it. Firstly, that you could think you are in faith and yet you're not. Your life disproves that you are. And he's calling you to a place of actual repentance and putting your trust in the provision of God. But more likely what he's thinking is this aspect of, you can imagine, Paul talks about it elsewhere, that when you enter into the final rest, the kingdom of God, in that final judgment, it's like a man who woke up to discover that his house was on fire and all he had time to do was run out before the house collapsed on him. And it depends on how you sleep, whether you sleep with some clothes on or what, how you get there. It's like, glad I made it. Or a sailor who is shipwrecked and only manages to get to shore by holding on to a plank. You've lost all the cargo, everything that you had. And there's some, you're living your life in such a way that you are giving it all up. The provision of God in your life is, is being completely wasted because you're pursuing the corruption and the lust that is there in the world. And you will arrive as one saved through fire. But that's not God's plan for you. God's plan is that you would bear much fruit. God's plan is that you would hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Where he says, Jesus, I will disrobe myself and serve you as a servant. And so this morning, I want to invite us to lay a hold of God's provision for our lives. Lay a hold of his power. Lay a hold of his person. Lay a hold of his promises. Live out what it means to be a child of God and to put every effort in adding to your faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have provided for us as we look out into life. We thank you for power. We thank you for relationship, knowing you. We thank you for promises. We thank you for taking part in who you are to be overcomers. And Lord, as we give ourselves to your promises, to your provision, I pray that you'd awaken in us this desire to bear fruit that endures, this desire to be productive and effective in our knowledge of who you are and what you have done for us. That we would be those who look at the prize and say, I'm laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and running this race with endurance. We'd be those who say, I'm putting to death what is earthly within me 
I am running for the prize. I am fighting with an aim. And Lord, I pray that you would affirm this desire, you would strengthen us. Our efforts are feeble at best. But would you come, Holy Spirit, do a deep work within us. Yeah, I really believe that the Lord would affirm for us as a church that we're going to be a people who are strong in faith. That we're going to be a people whose faith is visible. A people whose faith is attested. A people whose faith is tried. And we are to be a people who bear much fruit. Even as it says in Hebrews, by faith. This is what they did. They, they conquered kingdoms. They received their dead back to life. Some endured great suffering. And I really believe that there's some where you feel like your faith is just as strong as a string. It, it feels like it's, it's going to break. You are at, at your end. You're saying, I, I can't, I don't know if I even still believe. I, I don't know if I can hold on. But I believe that you'd be encouraged that actually God is holding on to you. You are not the one holding on to God. He is holding on to you. It is His divine power. It is His divine person. It is His divine promises. He is the one who began this good work in you and He will see it brought to completion. Don't look at yourself and say, I'm so weak. Don't look at yourself and say, I'm, I'm so discouraged, so disappointed. Instead, look at Jesus on the cross who said, it is finished. Amen.